Uh, friends, I just want to share this. Um, this past weekend, I had the great privilege of preaching at a Metro uh, Church down in East Falls. They're a great gospel partner. And I left the retreat uh, site last night, and I left my iPad there and my Bible there. Uh, so I'm preaching from, from a printed uh, script, and, and I just say that because I haven't done this in years, and so I, if I'm like up here fumbling, just forgive me, and, and please don't be distracted uh, by it. Please pray that that iPad gets to me somehow um, as well. Um, would you stand as your act of worship as we read and receive God's word? If you don't have a Bible, if you don't own one, there should be one in front of you, a, a pew Bible, a black hardback Bible. It's found on page 811. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, one of the missions is to get Bibles into your hands. And so uh, if you don't have one, please feel free to take that. If you know a neighbor who needs one or wants one or thinks would be interested, feel free to take one for them as well. Uh, we want God's word in people's hands. So Matthew chapter 8, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. Please hear now the reading of God's holy word. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Friends, would you join me in prayer as we begin? Father, as we just sang, we're asking that you would speak to us, O Lord, and you would nourish us by the food of your word. And I pray, God, that through today's preaching and heralding and proclamation of your truth, that our hearts would respond Father, if some of our hearts are, are broken and they need mending, would your word do that? Some of our hearts are hardened and need conviction, would you do that? Some of our hearts are complacent and we need waking up, would your word do that? Some of our hearts need just encouragement, would your word do that? Do that today by your spirit as we now give our attention to your word preached and proclaimed, centered on Christ and unto your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're finishing up a series on the Lord's Prayer, and this has been an eight-week series uh, that we've been on, and it's been called Teach Us to Pray, Learning Prayer from Jesus. And throughout this series, the whole aim is not just to been to teach you how to pray, but actually just get you to pray, to encourage you to pray, because prayer is a gift that God has given to us to enjoy Him. Here's the thing, though. I think many of us... Um, make this a little bit more difficult than, than it needs to be. But prayer, as we've been talking about, is actually quite simple. There, there is a depth to prayer, but there is also a simplicity to prayer. And that is simply praying. Praying, and if you don't know how, using the Lord's Prayer as a structure. You know, I do think some of us, uh, maybe we, we're not praying types of people. We're, we're people who read the Word of God. And then there are people who uh, maybe aren't those who, who love reading the Word of God, but they love praying. But the Christian walk is a walk of balance. You know, I think about uh, regular walking. It's not a complicated task, this thing called walking. You know, it, it's, it's pretty simple, right? It's left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. And it's just with those two, simul those two movements together that, that you walk. How do you walk with God? It's th two simple things. You hear his voice in the word, in the Bible. He hears your voice in prayer. 
Those two simple things is how you walk with God. Except when we bring imbalance to that, when we become people who just read the word and we don't pray, we end up being people who try to, try to walk and get to a destination by, you know, I read the word and I read the word and I read the word. And you may be reading the word, but you've made no progress. Plus you look ridiculous. Or some of us, we pray. And we pray, and we pray, and we've been praying for a long time, but we're not walking with the Lord. We haven't gone far. Why? Because there's no balance in our lives. The, the Christian life is the simple balance of word and prayer, word and prayer. D being daily in the word, being daily in prayer. We've spent the majority of 2019 focusing on prayer. Eight weeks in it. That's most of this year so far. So let me ask you a question. Have you grown in your prayer life? Does prayer in your life look any different than it did two months ago? Now you can evaluate that on any number of standards. Uh, do I have greater intentionality when I pray? Do, do I have more commitment when I pray? Do I experience deeper intimacy when I pray? Is there greater frequency to my prayers? Is there more childlike dependence in my prayers? Is there more intentional calling God Father in our prayers? You can judge this in any number of ways. My simple question is, has there been growth in your prayer life? And I ask this because I want to say this hard truth that I've been wrestling with this week, but it feels, I feel I need, need to say it. And that's this. If you are a professing Christian and nothing in your life, nothing in the way you pray, nothing about your prayer life has changed, or you're, you say you're a Christian and your prayer life is still non-existent, this is a cause for great spiritual concern. If you are a Christian, it is not a small matter that you do not pray. It is spiritually alarming to me. Remember, we've been saying that praying is like breathing to the Christian. And in the same way, if you were a doctor and a patient came in and told you that in the middle of the night, periodically, they stopped breathing in the middle of the night, would that be a cause for minor concern or major concern? And only a, a fool would say that that's a minor concern. It would be major indeed. So how much more then, and in a more important and serious way, a Christian who does not pray is a Christian in great spiritual danger. If you have not grown in prayer, please come speak with me. If you have not grown in prayer, if your prayer life is no different then you need to come speak with me. I'm pleading that you come speak with me because not praying is not f simply failing to do a Christian duty. I think a lot of us think of it that way. Oh, this is the thing I, I, I'll get around to it. Not praying is not simply a failure of Christian duty. Not praying is starving your relationship with God and neglecting one of the richest privileges he has offered you in Jesus Christ. And if this is you today, may the Spirit, by His grace, awaken you. May He wake you up. Seek me out. Send me an email. Call me. Text me. Find me after service. I urge you to do this. If you are not growing in prayer, this is the most serious problem I think there is. You need to come speak with me. Now, for those who are growing in prayer as we finish this series, may you be encouraged to continue praying pursuing God. We, we said at the very beginning of this series that beginning and learning to pray is like entering the school of prayer. But the thing is, we enter the school, but we never graduate from the school of prayer. We're always learning. So if you're continuing, uh, you're growing in prayer, uh, I encourage you to keep on pressing on to be a student at the feet of Jesus, always learning. Now, I say that 
all of that from a deep pastoral heart. As I've learned so much about prayer, as I've learned more over the years how to pray for you all, as I've learned what is truly important in the Christian's life. So I say this out of love. I don't, I don't say this out of judgment uh, or, or trying to uh, just be up here and be mean. I'm not, you know, a 17th century Puritan preacher. Um, I just say this in deep love and concern for you. Okay, now as we turn our attention to this passage, you may have noticed something interesting about Matthew chapter 6, that there may be a part of this prayer uh, that you're used to praying that's not actually found in here. And I think many of us, if you've ever learned the Lord's Prayer growing up, you will have learned to end it by saying something like, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Or you say that at the end of the Lord's Prayer, but then you read it here in Matthew, and you think, oh, well, I guess they left it out. Uh, and I just want to address this really quickly. The reason that that ending doesn't appear in Matthew chapter 6 is because that, the evidence of that in the Greek is only found in later manuscripts, meaning that the earliest uh, and most reliable Greek New Testament manuscripts of Matthew that we have don't include that section, and that's why the Bible doesn't have it. Now, of course, that doesn't mean you can't pray it. It is truly, for thine is you know, the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. It is a truly biblical, it's a beautiful way to end the prayer. So we can still pray it, but that's why it's not in the scripture. So just in case you are wondering uh, if your Bible is, you know, if, if you got the uh, edited version or, you know, off the rack version or something like that, it's, it's not in there for that reason. So we get to this last petition, verse 13, and this concludes our series. And as we look at this last petition, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, here's the gospel truth. Here's a one sentence summary of what I want to speak about today. Prayer reminds us that we have power in Christ to fight and flee temptation. Prayer reminds us, it gives us access again to the power we have in Christ to fight and to flee temptation. Now, I have no um, points in the sermon today. I'm just going to kind of walk through the text with us. So look again at verse 13. Very simple. Jesus says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, this last petition is actually meant to sober us up. And if it doesn't sober you up, if it doesn't make you go, huh, I think you've misunderstood, you've misunderstood what is happening here. Because the Lord's Prayer takes you on this beautiful journey. You get to call God Father. And then in your most desperate hour, he, he gives you uh, your daily bread. And when you're struggling in sin, he, he forgives your debts. And you would think that the prayer would end in a field of lilies and green pastures, and it would end with a happily ever after. But it actually ends with a reality check, a great warning. It's the warning and the reality check that every day there's a daily battle to fight against temptation. That every day, as soon as you end that prayer, in fact, actually, even while you're praying, there is one called the evil one who is tempting you, who, who is distracting you, who is discouraging you. And Jesus is saying, just like you need to pray every day for daily bread, just like you need to pray every day for daily forgiveness, you need to pray every day for daily protection against temptation. Because if you know anything about temptation, it comes knocking at your door so relentlessly. Every day, there's not a day that goes by that none of us are tempted. But here's a question. Of these last three petitions, God, give me my daily bread. God, give me uh, pardon from sin. God, give me protection from evil. Which do you pray the least? Which do you pray the least? And if you're anything like me, you pray this last one the least. I always pray for daily bread. I pray for hourly bread. <laughs> I always pray for forgiveness of sins. 
Every day, every morning, every time I talk to, you know, people, every time I'm stuck in traffic, every time I'm in the, the line uh, at CVS, and you know, I'm praying for forgiveness. But how often do you pray for daily protection from temptation? And I think part of the reason that, that many of us have that as our least frequent prayer is because the way we use temptation is, is too mild. Uh, we use it too lightly. We, we don't use it the way Jesus is meeting temptation. So, so think about how you talk about temptation in your everyday conversations. When we talk about temptations and being tempted, we, we say things like, you know, I'm tempted to eat another slice of cake. I'm tempted to watch another episode of this show or this, this drama when I know I should sleep. I'm tempted to buy this thing, not out of necessity, but out of just desire and luxury. And yeah, those are real temptations. And I understand that the battle of those things are real. I know, trust me, I know what it's like to resist the temptation for a second scoop of ice cream. I know that is a real struggle. But here's the thing. When temptation is used at that common of a level, that low of a level, we actually forget the spiritual reality of temptation. That there is one called the tempter who is diligently at work to frustrate and to discourage you and to get you to sin against God. Temptation is not merely in a, uh, this um, feeling or this emotion where you have a desire for something and, oh man, I know I shouldn't, maybe I should, I know I shouldn't. No, temptation is one called the tempter, the evil one, whose full-time job, whose full-time commitment in his life is to get you to fail and to fall. That his greatest desire, his most enjoyed delight is to get us to forget our first love. And if that's the case, then the real consequence of, of falling into temptation is not merely uh, gaining a few pounds because you cheated on a diet. That's not the real consequence of falling into temptation. It's not, oh, I, I didn't get to sleep as much because I binged that new Netflix show that just came out. That's not the real consequence of temptation. The real consequence of temptation is that you forget the joy and satisfaction there is in following after God because you've drank and now you're full from the stale and tepid water of the world. That's the real consequence consequence of falling into temptation. It's the sadness of being so satisfied with temporary earthly pleasures that you've missed out on the heavenly eternal treasures that are available to you. The real sadness of it is you've filled yourself up with the appetizers of crackers and therefore you're too full for the main course. Or do you see C.S. Lewis's imagery the consequences is the sadness of a playing in a slum, making mud pies, and therefore you're missing out on the vacation at the beach. Temptation is Satan's way of distracting you from enjoying the reality of God's goodness and his glory and then getting us to settle for lesser things. But the thing is, why does Jesus teach us to pray this? Because the reality is, Jesus is not trying to inhibit or take away joy from your life. He's actually trying to maximize it. Because Jesus is jealous for you. He wants you to enjoy the steak of the main course, not the finger foods offered before. Jesus wants you to have nothing less than true joy in your life. And he knows that's found when you're living not in sin and not following the ways of the evil one, but you are pursuing after God and finding fullness of joy in him. So that's why he teaches us, he warns us, pray diligently for protection against the tempter, and for power from deliverance from temptation. 
Now, here's the thing. When Jesus teaches us about temptation, uh, it's easy to dismiss him because he's Jesus. He's the sinless son of God. It's like when, you know, someone really smart comes up and says, you know, oh, you failed that test. I know what you feel like. And you, no, you don't. I mean, failure is not an A minus, you know, not to me at least, and maybe to you, but not to me. Jesus, the sinless son of God, comes and he says, let me tell you about temptation. Well, Jesus, what do you know about temptation? Well, Jesus doesn't speak as an academic or a theorist who has no idea what he's talking about. Jesus has actually been in the battle of temptation. He's fought the fight. He's been there before. But most importantly, in the midst of temptation, he was triumphant. Jesus was really and truly tempted just as we are, except he had no sin. You know, this is Matthew 6. Two chapters earlier in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus, after being baptized, was led by the Spirit out into the wilderness. And it says there that he was tempted by the devil. And then Matthew writes in chapter 4, And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, and the devil comes to Jesus and he tempts Jesus three times, but each of those temptations, Jesus resists and he's triumphant over. He doesn't succumb to these temptations. And it's a great story. It's a story that I learned growing up. It's very admirable, very inspiring. But being inspired by Jesus isn't enough to help us deal with temptation in our lives. You know, I remember reading stories like this and in being taught as a kid Jesus, look at him, he resisted temptation. He, he trusted God and he trusted God's word and, and you should be like Jesus. And so when you're, when you're tempted, you know, trust God as well. But the reality is, simply being like Jesus doesn't work. It doesn't give us enough power to conquer temptation. Why? Because we're not Jesus. You know, I can wear 10 what would Jesus do bracelets. You know, I can wear a WWJD like, headband and wristbands. I could even put on WWJD socks and underwear and none of that can actually change me. It can't change you either. You can say all you want, what would Jesus do? And at the end you'll say, dang, what did I do? Jesus' example is not enough to help his followers fight temptation. That's why Jesus actually never says, be like me and do as I do. Christians say that so many times. Why don't you be like Jesus? Why don't you do as he did? Jesus himself never said that. Instead, Jesus, who's familiar with the fight against temptation, what does he actually instruct us to do? What is the advice he gives us? Matthew 6, he says, pray then like this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us for evil. He didn't say, look to me as an example and do as I do and be inspired by how I conquered sin. He says, go to God in prayer. That's actually how he begins his ministry. This is early. This is Matthew 6. One of the first lessons he's teaching, pray then like this, don't fall into temptation. What's beautiful about the gospel of Matthew is that this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. You know what he teaches at the end of his ministry three years later? The same lesson. Because near the end of his life, Jesus is uh, going to get betrayed by Judas Iscariot. And so what he does before this betrayal is he takes three of his closest friends. They're called the inner three, Peter, John, and James. And he goes to pray in this garden late at night. And it's late at night, and so it's understandable that, that these three guys, they can't keep their eyes open. They're so tired and, you know, praying in the dark with your eyes closed. It's just, it's a recipe for disaster. And so they keep nodding off. They keep falling asleep. The struggle is real for them. But this is what Jesus says to them at the end of his ministry, Matthew 26, verse 41. Watch and 
pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, some of you are saying, that's my life verse right there. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But, but look at what Jesus did. He, he bookends his ministry with this spiritual lesson. Prayer keeps you from temptation. That's how he started his ministry. That's how he's ending his earthly ministry. Jesus wants you to understand that he knows your, your flesh is weak. The nature of your flesh is weak or your heart is, is fickle. And he knows that actually better than we know. So what he says is, lead us not into temptation. When he says, when we're to pray, lead us not into temptation, the imagery there is, is sort of like sheep that are straying toward roaring waters or straying too close to the edge of a steep cliff. And the shepherd is leading them away from this danger. So when you're praying, Father, lead me away from temptation, what you're confessing simultaneously is, God, the propensity of my heart is to go toward temptation. It's to go toward sin. Our hearts are just bent that way. And when we're not careful, when we're not paying attention, we will naturally find ourselves, our hearts, returning again and again to the source of sin, to the source of temptations. You know, when I was in college, I was a poor college student, and every time I went to get a wheel change, or not a wheel change, an oil change, uh, they would, uh, uh, they would uh, recommend that I get a steering wheel alignment, right? But I was too poor to pay like the extra 60 bucks for it, so for years I just kept saying, you know, no thanks, I don't have the money, just, you know, do the, do the oil change. And it got to the point, I think, like two years later, in order for me to go straight on the highway, I had to drive like this, you know? This is how it went, uh, straight ahead. It was always at 10 o'clock constantly. But here's the thing, like, holding this position for a long time is, is really difficult. And so on particularly long drives, after a while, I'd get comfortable and it would go back to 12 o'clock. But as I went back to 12 o'clock, the car went, you know, to 2 o'clock. And I would eventually start crossing into the other lanes. You know, that's kind of how our heart works. When we're not alert, we're not praying, God, keep us from temptation, keep us from sin, our hearts will start drifting and we'll start straying. That's our natural inclination. So if that's our natural inclination, when Jesus says pray then like this, what does prayer actually do? How does prayer actually help us to fight and flee temptation? Now I remember growing up and also hearing, you know, uh, the way you should pray when you're, when you're being tempted, but really they only talked about prayer as a sort of distraction, right? When, when, you're, when you're tempted to do this, just pray. And what they really meant by that is just do something else because prayer will, will get you obviously not thinking about this. But there's more to pray prayer than just distraction. Prayer helps us because when we pray, we're reminded that the power of Christ, that he exercised over sin and Satan is at work in us. Prayer reminds us that when we're fighting against temptation, we're not doing it with our own strength and with our own might. Because if that was true, you'd give in each time. But when you're praying, to be led away from temptation, delivered from the evil one. You're, you're praying that the victorious power of Jesus Christ would be at work in you. You see that last part of the Lord's Prayer, but deliver us from evil? You know, some translations say deliver us from the evil one. Um, but whichever way you take it, deliver us from evil, deliver us from the evil one, they really mean the same thing. But the confidence to pray this declaratively, deliver us from the evil one, God, the power to declare that comes from Christ who definitively delivered us. You can declaratively say, deliver us from evil. Why? Because Christ definitively delivered you from evil. He did it once for all. 
That's what the Christian message is about. That God came. He waged war against the evil one. And in his victory over Satan, he delivered us from sin's grip, sin's grasp, sin's chains. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer slaves to evil. It no longer has a leash over us. And this is the exact promise that Paul was celebrating in Colossians 1.13 when he writes that he, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. That prayer gets us to remember the gospel promise that Jesus died on the cross, and when he died, he broke the power of the evil one over us. He rendered the evil one's grip over us powerless. That Satan is stripped of any authority over us. That we're not bound to him anymore. And when we're praying in the midst of this, when temptation is pulling at our hearts and we're praying, we're being reminded Jesus Christ has rendered him powerless. He has no say. He has no authority over us. I'm not bound to follow him like I feel like I am. You're no longer too weak to stand against the tempter. You have victory in Christ assured for you. You have his power available to you. In Christ, you always can flee and fight temptation. The problem is we don't believe in his victory. We don't believe that we have actual access to that power. You guys remember in 1 Samuel 17, it's a very famous story of David and Goliath. And the way that story starts, Israel, the army, uh, is standing before the great Philistine army. And the Bible actually says um, in, in, in chapter 17, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Right, and so here's a little Israel standing before this great Philistine army, and they're greatly afraid. And this makes sense because if you remember, the Philistines had this champion, this giant named Goliath, and, and no man could defeat him. I mean, he was, he was a big guy, bigger than the rock. He was huge, and they were powerless against this enemy. So everyone was afraid. They were shaking. But if you skip to the end and you read the end of this chapter, this is how it ends. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and they pursued the Philistines and they plundered their camp. And the question for us is, is what changed that the Israelites went from being enslaved to fear to now pursuing and plundering their enemy in great victory? Like what happened between being afraid and feeling powerless to conquering now their enemy? And the answer isn't because they looked inward and they discovered a secret strength within. They didn't tap into the inner power within themselves. That's not what happened to the Israelites. What's happened was that there was this great champion, Goliath on the other side, and as afraid as they were, there was one from within Israel's camp who stood up as their champion. One who stood up in their place and his name was David. And David came and David fought and conquered Goliath. And in David's victory over this giant, over this enemy, in his secured victory, the whole army, the whole people of God shared in his victory too. And in the same way, friends, Jesus Christ as the greater David, the better champion, has conquered one mightier than Goliath. He has conquered the evil one. He has conquered the tempter. He has conquered the one that held us in chains. And now because we share in his victory, that victory is yours. It's guaranteed for you when you fight and flee temptation, even when you feel utterly powerless and you feel like there's no way of escape. Prayer is powerful because it gets you to focus your eyes not on yourself and your lack of power, 
but it forces you to focus on Christ and his resurrection power in the midst of overwhelming temptation. We need to remember these lyrics that we'll sing after. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. When the tempter and the evil one comes and in those moments when he whispers those sweet little lies in your ears, you deserve this. You need this. It will feel so good. You need to pray when he tells you, worry about the consequences later. God will understand. You know, you need to pray this when you hear him asking you, how can something so bad feel so good? You need to pray when he plants seeds of doubt against the promises of God or against the goodness of God. You need to pray when he minimizes sin and says, this sin isn't so bad. There are worse things you could do. There are worse people than you. There are worse people who have done worse things than you. And when those lies come and all these different temptations come to us and we feel utterly helpless and hopeless to actually stand against it, prayer reminds us that in Christ there is incredible power at work in you and for you. Now, these temptations, when they come our way, do you fight against them? When you're tempted, I mean, it can be any number of temptations to judge, to gossip, to share a little bit of that juicy news you heard about that person, to curse somebody, to big things like stealing or cheating or lying. In those moments, do you fight against temptation? And here's my question. When was the last time that you felt tempted and your response to the temptation was that you fell on your knees in desperate prayer and you cried out to God to help you kill this sin lest that sin kills you? When was the last time that you begged your Heavenly Father to deliver you victoriously from the evil one and his schemes and his lies? You know, here's the hard-hitting reality, and I share this out of my own experience and my own failures. The more that you and I fail to daily pray, lead us not into temptation, the more you actually find yourself praying daily, forgive us for our sins. And the reason that, let me say it, like, the, the more you fail to pray, lead us not into temptation, the more you find yourself praying, forgive us for our debts. You know why? Because the reality is that we often don't ask for deliverance from temptation because we know we can ask for forgiveness from sin. Isn't that so true in our lives? And when we do this, we abuse the grace of God. We take advantage of his costly blood spilled for us. And as a result, we actually give in to sin and we give in to temptation all too easily. Why resist an agonizing pain? Why resist to the point of shedding tears and blood when God will forgive us after? About a month ago, um, I started going to the gym. Uh, well, I started going a few months ago, but I started lifting uh, with our intern, Dan, um, who I'm convinced if he, is, if he wasn't called to the gospel ministry, 
God would call him to the gym ministry. But, um, you know, it's still painful for me to go and, and do workouts. I mean, when I first started going, it was absolutely dreadful. Uh, now it's, it's slightly less dreadful. But if you've ever lifted weights before, you know that feeling um, when the weights are just so heavy and you're struggling and you feel absolutely powerless. And with every fiber of your body, you're trying to push something up or to just keep it up. And to be honest, there are times that, you know, you go to the gym and, and you don't want to struggle that day. Right? You don't want to really sweat. You don't want to put up the fight. It's hard. It's, it's difficult. And the one thing I realized, the tendency in my own heart is that um, the days I go by myself and I'm, and I'm lifting, you know, I have to struggle and push because I don't want the weight to fall on me. But the days that I know Dan's behind me, the days that I know a spotter is behind me are the days that when things get tough, I give up more easily. I don't struggle and feel the full weight of that because I know if I ask for help, it'll come. You know, in the same way, many of us, we know God will forgive us and therefore we take advantage of the gospel. We don't feel the full weight and struggle against temptation because we know if I give in, God's still loving, God's still forgiving. And hallelujah, amen, that is true. But if you're giving in to the temptation because you know that's the case, then I think you're misunderstanding a little bit about the gospel. You know, the author of Hebrews, in an encouragement to the audience, writes in chapter 12, verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Friends, we should not cheapen grace, because if we intentionally cheapen God's grace and his forgiveness, it reveals we don't actually understand his grace. You know, Jesus teaches us very intentionally to pray, forgive us our debts first, and then lead us not into temptation. Why? Because he wants us to understand that if we understand God's sacrifice for our sins, then we will do our best to fight against temptation. Jesus didn't teach you, hey, pray, lead us not into temptation, but you're going to fail. And so then pray, forgive us our sins. He says, God, no, pray, forgive us our debts, because when you understand the cost he paid in giving up his son to forgive us our sins, then when you get to the temptation, in light of that, what God has done for you, you will struggle and you will persevere and you will work hard through it. You know, if Christ shed tears and blood to forgive you. It's worth shedding your tears and blood to fight against sin. That is the truth, my friends. And so fight and pray and ask God for his power to be at work in you. Now, before I close, let me end with this encouragement, though. Don't pray this last petition only when it's too late. Don't wait until temptation is at your door and then ask God to lead you away from it. Don't go to that casino, go to that favorite machine and then pray, Lord, keep me from temptation. Don't go to that website, type in that URL and then before press enter, God, lead me away from temptation. Don't go to that social scene full of all that stuff you want to share and all these secrets you know about people and then pray, God, keep me from temptation. This is a daily prayer. It's a prayer that we pray in the morning. God, protect me for the day. Protect me from the lies. Constantly praying this because, you know, if experience has taught me anything, it's, it's, Satan is so much more clever than you. And if you wait for, you know, him to make the first move, you've already lost. He will outsmart you every time because he's been doing a long time. How long? Well, since the Garden of Eden. 
He's much better at it than you. And you can't get complacent to think, oh, I've defeated temptation once. You know, I've defeated once, I could do it again. Well, first of all, no, no, it's not guaranteed the second time. Or it's not guaranteed the second time. And the second thing is, is if you uh, escape temptation once, Satan's not going to roll over and give up easily. He's going to come back more advanced, more skilled, more creative, more strategic. That's why he exists, to frustrate you, to get you to fall and to fail. And he will come back again in fuller force and in more creative ways. You know, when I was a kid, um, on Saturday mornings when I was watch cartoons, my parents would go off to work and they'd leave me, you know, home alone. And uh, I remember every Saturday morning, these Jehovah's Witnesses would, would come to our house and, you know, my parents told me, don't talk to them, you know, don't take their material. And, um, and, and you know, I, I didn't know better. So when someone would knock, I'd always open it and they'd give me these Watchtower magazines. And so it got to the point where it was so annoying. At that time, it wasn't like... They teach false things. It was, they're ruining my cartoons. And so as soon as I heard the knock, I would look outside the window, and uh, I still remember this. If I saw a silver Toyota Camry, uh, that means they were here at my house, and I would put it on mute, and I would go downstairs, and I'd wait 10 minutes, and then I would go back up, and they would be gone. And I did this, and I successfully was able to dodge them for months, until uh, one day, I heard a knock at the door, and I looked outside, and there was no car, and I went, and I opened the door, and it was Jehovah's Witness. And I was like, oh, I was really surprised. And they gave me their stuff, and I threw it away. And I was curious. What the heck? How did they get here? So I ran upstairs to the window, and I saw them. And it turns out that they actually parked up the street, like six houses down. And I remember thinking to myself, they're getting more advanced. <laughs> they're learning. <laughs> My not opening the door didn't discourage them from returning again. They just came back smarter with new strategies. You defeating sin once, escaping temptation once, is not going to make Satan go, oh, well, I guess, you know, he's untouchable now. He will just come back harder with more strategy and more creativity. He will come back, actually, he will come back to you with greater resolve to get you to sin than resolve you have not to sin. And so don't let your guard down. Don't let your life go on cruise control. Stay alert. Keep praying this prayer. It's amazing that of all ways Jesus could end this prayer, this is how he chooses to end it. It's a sobering reminder for us to pray daily and pray hourly, to pray fervently and to pray passionately, to pray dependently and to pray desperately. Remember what God spoke to Cain in Genesis 4. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And the good news, friends, is that in Jesus Christ, you have the power to rule over it. So fight and flee temptation with the strength that he provides. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm thankful that you give to us uh, such an encouraging word. Although it is sobering, it does, it does wake us up to the reality of temptation and the evil one who wants us to, to stumble. Uh, you also provide us the way out, for there is no temptation, Lord, that, that you will not uh, send our way, that, that we can stand up f from under it. You, you always provide the way out, and that way out is through Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that if there's any of us here who just feel really just powerless, just feels weak to stand up against Satan and temptation and sin, which is all of us, really. And if there's any who, who have just fallen again and have, are beating ourselves up, God, I pray that now as we come to your table that you would restore us and renew us and give us strength and grace. 
pray, Father, that you would do this um, as a way of encouraging your people and help confirming in our hearts, Lord, who you are and what you have done for us in Jesus. I pray that all these realities would be sensed and experienced now as we take the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.